the section of Revelation where we believe we are looking at events that have not yet taken place. We believe these are things that are yet to happen. The book of Revelation talks about things that uh, tells the Apostle John to write the things that you have seen. And that was an image of Jesus Christ that he saw, and he wrote that in the beginning of the book. And then write the things that are, and those are the what we consider the seven letters to the churches during the, the time of the church age. Those are the things that are and are continuing. But he says also write the things that will take place in the future, and that's where we are now. We're in that section where John is writing about things to, that are going to take place. Just by kind of, again, bringing us up to speed, we, we think we're studying a time that the Bible speaks of that will come just prior to Jesus coming and establishing his kingdom on the earth. We believe that there is, as foretold in the book of Daniel, a seven-year period yet to be fulfilled of prophecy concerning the nation of Israel. One last week of the 70 weeks of Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9. And the book of Revelation is really a, a kind of an expounding on what that week will be. And we've kind of seen that it's really a time of God beginning to wrap up history. And as when he does that, he really begins to pour out judgment on the ungodly. and begins to save and bring harvest uh, to those that will turn to him, and including even the nation of Israel. Many Jews are going to come to revelation at that time that Jesus is in fact their Savior. And many, many are going to be saved. But it's also going to be a difficult time, and a time when the Antichrist, uh, evil, will be allowed to kind of wax worse. The book of Thessalonians talks about a time right now that Although evil, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, it is restrained. But there's coming a time when the restrainer, and we believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit, when he kind of quits restraining and allows, not that the Holy Spirit won't be in the earth, but the Holy Spirit working through the church will be removed and, and evil will, be, will have opportunity to come to its full blossom, if you will. And the Antichrist, that son of perdition, a lawless one that's prophesied in several places throughout the, the Scriptures, both Old and New Testament. Revelation chapter 13 speaks of that beast rising up from the sea. This is what we looked at last week, and we believe that is, in fact, the Antichrist who will someday rise to power. We looked last week at eight characteristics concerning the Antichrist, things that he would possess and characteristic character traits and things that he would do. Tonight, we'll look at the latter half of chapter 13, and it talks about another individual, often known as the false prophet. So the Antichrist will not be alone. He will have a cohort. He will have a uh, ministry uh, propaganda uh, minister, if you will. And we, we, look, we will see him described here in the latter half of the verse uh, of the chapter. Some refer to uh, this as the unholy trinity. You have the Holy Trinity, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in this, these passages that we've been looking at, you also have three unholy. You have Satan, the dragon. You have the beast coming out of the sea, the Antichrist, and you have this false prophet that we'll look at tonight. So these three are in league with the devil, the devil himself being one of them. And let's take a look tonight at, 
at these things, but let me pray one, one more time before we get started and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts through his word. Father, we do thank you for your word and the power and the revelation of it. We ask tonight, God, that it would be not just a curiosity study, Lord, but really a spiritual time that you would use these passages to speak to our hearts. Lord, we want to know these things. We need to know these things. That's why you've written them for us, Lord. But God, I know that there is more than just kind of a, you know, trying to look into the future, but really a time of spiritual consideration, reflection, a time to really begin to think, Lord, these things are true. This These things are going to take place, and how then should I be living? How does this affect my life, Lord? How does this impact my own faith and my walk with you? I pray, God, that you would bring these things to life for us. Give us clear understanding and speak to our hearts as you desire. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at his description here, verses 11 and 12. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. Now, you remember there in verse 11. 13.1, we saw a beast rising up out of the sea. This is another beast, another individual coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now remember the first beast was the Antichrist, that beast that we looked at Last week in the first 10 verses, and he, we, we, we studied that, that he was going to be healed of a mortal wound. And so now this is, this, of course, all the same chapter where he's referencing back. This next beast is going to call, cause people to worship that Antichrist, that one who was healed. And he comes up out of the earth, so he's going to have a different origin from the Antichrist. He'll come up out of the sea. And this is symbolic. The, the sea, of course, is a little more of a, of a foreboding image coming up from the earth and, and with uh, horns, uh, you know, of, uh, of a lamb. This, this individual may not be quite as intimidating. He may even have the appearance of someone uh, kind of gentle and persuasive. And, but nonetheless, he will be a wolf in sheep's clothing. But this, this individual may not be quite as intimidating as the, the Antichrist. But what he will be is he'll, he'll be a very good orator, have smooth words, to kind of help you know, uh, propagate the Antichrist's ideas and his, excuse me, his agenda. Very persuasive and winsome. Yet he may be more subtle and gentle, but nevertheless evil, because you see that he has a mouth of a dragon. He will be empowered by Satan. He will be speaking blasphemies and those things that are ungodly. But notice it says that he will, he will ha- although he will have authority, it will be done in the presence of the first beast. Almost as though maybe the first beast, the Antichrist, will give him some kind of delegated power. Maybe these two will be in league. Maybe it will be like a a president, vice president type of thing. I mean, not referring to, you know, trying to predict the Antichrist as one of the presidents. I'm just saying, so you get the idea that in some 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 way, this 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 other beast is going to be, you know, he's going to operate, but he's going to operate under the authority uh, and under the, the political power of the first beast. Yet they are in league, and both of them are in league with the dragon or with Satan. 
As I mentioned, it, it, it may be that he is simply a propaganda minister and really helps push the agenda of the Antichrist. Well, let's take a look. At, let's look on and, and see, starting in verse 13, and take a look at some of his works. That's kind of his description. That's who he is. This is a little bit of, of kind of how he's, you know, where, where we see him in the lineup. But let's talk and look about what, what things he's going to be doing during this time. Verse 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So he's going to be he's going to be powerful. He's going to have some type of even possibly a supernatural power. He may be empowered by Satan. And, you know, it is it is possible for Satan is does have false wonders. He is able to produce kind of false signs. You remember uh, Moses when he went into Pharaoh and he performed several signs to kind of authenticate that he was from the Lord. Remember Pharaoh's magicians, they would go back and, and kind of conjure up some of the same signs. Of course, until the Lord brought, you know, the, the death of all the firstborn in Egypt, eventually, you know, he trumped them. But still, there were these false prophets around Pharaoh at that time. They were, they were kind of able to mimic some of those things that Moses was doing. Elijah, of course, you remember as the prophet that did call down fire from heaven. So is it any wonder here that we would see some kind of an imitation that this false prophet would mimic something of a true prophet. Just as Elijah was able to call down fire from heaven, so this, this false prophet will be able to, in some, in some way, perform uh, great signs, even calling down fire from heaven. And these signs are going to, of course, deceive many upon the earth. Look at verse, verse 14. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is probably a reference to what is known through the scriptures as the abomination of desolation. The Bible speaks both in the book of Daniel. Jesus references it in Matthew 24. The Apostle Paul speaks of it in 2 Thessalonians. The Bible talks about this Antichrist ultimately going to the holy place. We believe that the temple will in time and in season be rebuilt in Jerusalem. They will establish a formal place of worship once again. And that the Antichrist um, will make allegiance with the nation of Israel. But in the middle of that covenant that he makes, three and a half years into the covenant, he will then actually break covenant this is when he will begin to really rise to power and persecute. And this is when he himself will go to the temple and he will stand in the place of the holy place and will, you know, uh, desecrate the temple and he himself will claim to be God worthy of worship. And this, we believe, is a reference to that, that somehow this false prophet is going to be involved in that process, that the, there, there is going to be an image of the beast 
You know, we don't just, it's speculation. What will that be? Will it be some type of uh, special effects? Will it be some type of robot? Will it be some, I, you know, some don't know exactly. But somehow there will be an image of the beast and it will seem that this, this image actually comes to life and begins to speak. So he, and it says that he will be given power, he will be granted, verse 15, he will be granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many that would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So this, this Antichrist ultimately longs to be worshipped, as does Satan. This was Satan's great fall. He, once being one who worshipped the Lord, desired himself to be worshipped, was filled with pride, and of course he fell. But this desire to be like God, to be equal with God, is still something that is within Satan's desire, and he, went, and he weaves that into the Antichrist's heart as well. You remember even in the Garden of Eve, Eden, he said to Eve, you know, God doesn't, God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because you'll be like him. And that was part of the temptation to be like God. And man still wrestles with that temptation, wants to be his own God, wants to be in charge. He doesn't want to submit to the authority of God, would rather be his own God, his own de- control his own destiny and not be yielded to the very one who created him. So this is ultimately what the Antichrist has in mind. Uh, and I do believe, as I mentioned last week, I think we're in really you know, ripe for this, this season to begin I don't have, uh, you know, guesses as to who he is, but my sense is that he may already be on the scene and just not come to power yet or not come to full power yet. He may already be somewhere, you know, coming up in the world political system. Any, any idea to try to identify him at this point, I think, is just speculation, although, you know, he may be in our midst and somebody's got a theory that may turn out to be in truth, but... I think at this point to try and guess, it's really just premature. We have to, you know, the Lord will ultimately bring these things to pass. I'm going to talk to you a little bit as to what, what I think the Lord's purpose for us tonight is, in prophecy is, but I want to go ahead and finish this passage and then we'll talk a little bit about that. So he'll perform great signs, this uh, abomination of desolation. You remember Nebuchadnezzar, he set up a great image and wanted everyone to worship him as well. So this will be the case with the Antichrist. But let's read on and talk about this, uh, some of the other things that this, uh, this Antichrist will be beginning to put, put into place. Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, so that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Well, you've probably, even if you've never studied the book of Revelation, even if you're new to the Bible, you've probably heard something like about this. The mark of the beast, 666. Somehow this, these parts have kind of made their way even into you know, secular 
uh, Hollywood movies, these, uh, this kind of mystery. And we, again, it is still but a mystery. But I do think that what we see today is at least that the technology is available for this type of thing to take place, much more so than maybe just 100 years ago. I mean, there, there are such a, th- such a thing now as these microchips that can be, you know, just introduced under the skin and tremendous, tremendous amount of data can be stored on just a you know, very small uh, microchip. I mean, you, you've seen those little flash drives that you plug into your computer. Those little look like a little keychain, and you can put, you know, gigabytes of information. I mean, you can put a whole, you know... Library on those on the, just a little bit of infor- little piece of uh, plastic, and so the technology exists to put quite a bit of information in a very small package and to then put it, you know, as a mark on an identifying uh, an individual. And you can think about why this will make such great sense. I mean, isn't part of the problem we're having today identity theft? Um, isn't part of the problem, even some of the things going on, even in our, you know, in our country today, what's some of the hot topics, you know, the whole idea of immigration and, 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 and or terrorism, you know, tracking individuals and no-fly lists and, and some of the things that, that, that are already security issues. Imagine how much could be solved if we had a way to really mark people and store all that information that's relevant in some, you know, massive database that could be accessed at the scan of a barcode reader, you know, something like that. Imagine how easy it would be for security at the airport to identify those that are not supposed to be on the plane. Imagine how, 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 what it would do for just the economic efficiencies, you know, not having to deal with cash. And imagine how the the efficiency of uh, the economy would be, you know, the whole the whole drug cash, you know, exchange would be, you know, they'd have a much more difficult time doing the whole illegal drug trade because cash would not would no longer be the the medium in which we purchase things. Those transactions wouldn't have no place to really exist. I mean, I'm not trying to say that I understand these things. I'm just throwing it out to you that hey, we're we're, we're there. This, I can see this making really good sense almost, you know, tomorrow, let alone what things may advance to in the next coming years. So interesting that the Bible would have this kind of insight, that, the, that this kind of verse could even be here written nearly 2,000 years ago. And yet we read it and we say, oh, that, that could become a reality. You won't be able to buy or, tra- or, or have any kind of economic existence without this ID. Oh, you could, have, you could have health records on there. Not only that, but with all this cellular technology, I mean, you could really keep track of people. You could be part of the, you know, the 3G network. You could, we know where you are and who you are. <laughs> That's too much information. That's, uh, but can you imagine that kind of information, that kind of control being in the hands of the beast, of the Antichrist, someone who is looking to control the world. So this kind of technology exists today, and I think it. who knows what the ultimate uh, outworking of this prophecy will be, but uh, it doesn't take too much imagination to understand that these things may be right just around the corner. 
Now, this idea of the number of his name, the number of the beast, is 666. Now, 6 in the Bible is the number for man. Man was created on the sixth day. The number for completion, as we've said before, is seven. The seven spirits of God. Uh, The Lord writing letters to the seven churches, standing amidst the seven candlesticks. And so we have the seven symbolizing a completion, six incomplete, man's number. And this is really man's number, you know, to the third power, 666. Who is he? What does this mean? Well, again, we're just left with speculation. And oh, how we do speculate. I, I mean, you can make this fit almost any way. You know, I could just about convince somebody that any, you know, we might, anybody in here could be somehow related to that number, 666. There's so many different ways to kind of interpret this. Now, in both the Greek and Hebrew languages, the, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. In both languages, the letters also have numeric value. So it could be that when this Antichrist does come to the scene, that, that his name will have some kind of a numeric value that can be reduced to this 666. Maybe so. And as I said, there's people already trying to speculate, and, and even some of the rulers from the past have been thought, you know, Nero, Hitler, others, you know, and people have tried to figure out that somehow this number would fit to him. And I, I think it's just a mystery at this time. And, uh, but it's here for reason to give insight when needed. And that's often the reason prophecy is given. Not so much so that we can be fortune tellers and predictors of the future, but rather we can get a, a kind of a general sense of the future but you can't really know the, the, the specific fulfillment of prophecy until the Lord begins to fulfill those things. And when he does, that's when we see, ah, this is what was meant. Remember Peter standing up at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit had fallen on the congregation of people, and they began to stand up and prophesy and speak in tongues. And Peter stood up and said, this is what the prophet Joel spoke of that your sons and daughters would prophesy and that your old men would dream dreams and that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. My guess is that up until that day that Peter identified that passage in Joel, there are probably people that read that and never visioned that it would happen like the day of Pentecost until it actually God actually fulfilled it. Then it made perfect sense. And that's kind of the way prophecy is. We can't get too dogmatic in our view of what's going to happen. But I do think that we should know these things and that we should study these things and we should know the signs. We should know the seasons. Jesus said you, you will know the signs. So a lot of these things, I mean, are coming to light even, you know, even just in my generation. So much more is of understanding and people beginning to kind of put the pieces together and fit passages from different prophecies and beginning to make some sense of them. And what I'm giving you tonight is really a kind of a culmination of a lot of those years of study that men have kind of put these things together. You can imagine men that were reading the Bible uh, before Israel was back as a nation. They had to try and discern these things in a completely different perspective. 
because the, you know, the political landscape wasn't like it is today. And wow, now I can see how this could be fulfilled. The whole idea of somebody actually going to the Holy of Holies and, and desecrating the temple. Well, there's no temple there yet to desecrate, but we can see the potential that it could happen. I mean, Israel is back in the land. They do have certain rights to uh, that area. I was just there in Israel. That, that Temple Mount area is clear where they believe the, the temple at one time stood. And so there are still, in fact, some of the real religious uh, Jews, they, they won't even go up on the Temple Mount for fear that they might tread on the holy place. They're very, very careful to stay away from certain places because they're so convinced that they're going to eventually be able to build the temple. So these prophecies that, that before, you know, even our generation couldn't really discern, now all of a sudden we're seeing some, some new potential for them to be fulfilled. So I would say know these things. Don't get too carried away in trying to pin the tail on the Antichrist. But don't be naive either. You know, don't be naive. There is, uh, going, these things are going to come to pass. What I'd like to do, and we'll, we'll, that kind of looks at the text tonight, and just with my, the rest of the time that I have, I just want to give you just some thoughts about prophecy. I've kind of already introduced it to you, but what is the purpose of, of the Lord revealing these things to us? I mean, if we can't really understand yet how they're going to be fulfilled, and kind of the question, well, Lord, why give us all this information if we're just going to have to kind of, you know, mull on it and not really be sure what it means? Well, I think prophecy plays a very important role in the life of a believer. And more, more than just knowing exactly how it's all going to be fulfilled. And I want to give you some of those thoughts tonight. Why the Lord gives us these prophetic words. One of the reasons, and this is not just this prophecy, but this would apply to all prophecy. You know, uh, a very significant portion of the whole Bible is prophetic writing. Uh, we have the Old Testament prophets and much of the New Testament, even this book of Revelation, is written with prophetic overtones. Much of Jesus is, you know, much of the red letter and the, the, the passage in Matthew 24 is all prophetic. So God is, prophecy is important and he's given us much to study, but one of, the, one of the things I believe the Lord gives us prophecy for is, number one, to be a warning. There is a day coming when these things are going to happen. And for those who don't know the Lord, this should serve as something of a warning. That there is a day coming of accountability before a holy God. That God is not going to let mankind and society just go on unchecked forever. You know, and just... Endless, endless time that there is going to come a day when God is going to require an accountability. Yes, for every man when they die and go to stand before the Lord, but even for the whole earth, God is not going to let things just go out of control. God is not going to let men just have their way on his planet. God is ultimately going to bring things to a close, and that should serve as a warning for those that are those that would think, well, you know, I can live any way I want. It doesn't make any difference. No, it does make a difference. Many of the prophets in the Old Testament came to call the nation of Israel to repentance. They came to bring warning. 
The nation of Israel began to backslide. They began to, uh, you know, not walk close to the Lord. They began to serve idols. They began to rebel. And prophecy, prophets were sent to come and say, listen, guys, God has taken notice of what's happening. And if you don't repent, God is going to bring judgment. And, you know, at some, sometimes they would repent and then God would bring blessing. And if you read the Old Testament through, you know, First and Second Kings, you see a whole, you know, in and out of the blessing of God. You know, they'd walk with the Lord for a season and then they'd, you know, rebel and then God would send discipline and then they'd repent and come back to the Lord and this would go on. And then ultimately God began to judge the nation in a more permanent fashion. And the prophet Jeremiah came to the nation of Israel in the, uh, the, what was the southern tribe of Judah. Israel, the northern tribe, had already been assimilated and conquered. But Judah remained, but they too began to fall away from the Lord. And Jeremiah was one of the prophets who came to say, listen, God is going to judge this nation. And Babylon, under the king Nebuchadnezzar, is going to come and he's going to conquer and he's going to take you captive. Of course, they didn't believe him and they continued to do what they wanted and rebel against the Lord. And the book of Jeremiah is a, is a whole, you know, kind of series of that back and forth dialogue between Jeremiah and the nation of Israel. Jeremiah speaking for the Lord. And ultimately, those things came to pass. It was a warning. And for those, how many times did Jesus say, for those who have ears to hear, warning goes out. Not everybody pays attention not everybody believes it, but the warnings of prophecy are sure. And let your heart hear what the Spirit of God would say tonight. Even Jesus, in his letters to the churches, let him who hear with ears hear what the Spirit would say to the church. When God speaks, it's not just, oh, well, someday, maybe, I don't know. It doesn't affect me now. I don't really know. No, it, it should serve as something of a warning. A call to repentance. In addition to warning, I believe it also serves as, I'll call it, exhortation. The word exhortation is a, a, the idea of compelling someone, motivating someone to do something. So there is a clear warning against, because of coming judgment. But for those that do love the Lord and are living for the Lord, how should these things affect me? Well, I, I'm not living in rebellious sin against God, so I don't need to live in fear of judgment, but yet prophecy should be an exhortation. It should motivate my heart. It should affect me. If these things are true, how should I be living? Peter said it this way, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, talking about you know, God's ultimate uh, creating, a, destroying and creating a new earth, since you know this, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. What should we be doing with this knowledge in our hearts? Should it motivate us to be evangelistic? Should it motivate us to live for the Lord? And again, I'm talking to those that, that love the Lord and are walking with the Lord. When I read these things and I think, my goodness, Lord, we may be, this may be on our very near horizon. It, it it affects my perspective on my priorities and what I really want to be living for and doing with my time and my life and my energy and my resource. And I believe that prophecy is given for that purpose as well. It's to warn those that are living 
in rebellion to God, but it's to motivate and exhort and strengthen those that are living for the Lord. How much more we should be living in anticipation. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Fix your eyes on this hope. He who you know, keeps his eyes on these things purifies himself even as he is pure. It will affect the way you live your Christian life. The third thing that I believe prophecy is given for is to glorify God. You know, there, aren't, there, are, there is no one that can call the future like God. And prophecy is given to really glorify Him and to identify Him and His Word as supernatural. As for what they are, the Word of God. The prophet Isaiah, speaking for the Lord, said this, I am the Lord, and that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The Lord uses prophecy to glorify himself. This passage is giving clear indication. Listen, I am the Lord. I have told you things before they happened. There is none but I that can do that. Not only that, but I'm going to declare to you things that have not yet come to pass. So God glorifies himself by prophesying future events to, in great detail so that when they come to pass, we can, all be, we can all embrace this as His Word and Him as God. If He's able to see these things thousands of years before they come to pass, it has to speak to us about His, his abilities, his, character, his nature. I mean, let alone that He's created the universe, but how is it that He can exist outside of time? How can he see things so clearly that haven't even yet come to pass? This is an awesome God that we serve. And it should instill a sense of confidence, a sense of trust in him. I mean, if he can do all this, then, then I guess he's got my life handled too. Maybe, maybe the things that I'm worried about, and I confess I'm worried about stuff, but maybe, maybe God's not as nervous about them as I am. Maybe the Lord's not nearly as anxious about the things that I'm anxious about. And maybe, maybe the Lord wants me to put my trust and confidence in Him. And maybe the way He's fulfilled prophecy should give me a sense, you know what, <laughs> He's got my future. He's got it worked out and He loves me. And Jesus said, don't, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Today has enough trouble and worry of its own. Focus on what God has called you to do today. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. And He's promised to provide. He's promised to take care. Now, we're living in difficult times. And we're all challenged with provision and worry worry about the future and what's going to happen. And I think God is letting some of that confidence in anything but Him shake loose a little bit. So that we will come back to the God of glory. The God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The God who holds my future. Prophecy is given to help glorify Him in my heart and in my life. And that's my, my final thought is that prophecy is to bring hope and comfort. It's given to bring hope and comfort. 
Jeremiah, as I mentioned to you, he prophesied that the nation of Israel would be conquered and taken into captivity. Of course, they didn't believe it till it happened. Then they all believed it. And they were, in fact, many of the Jews taken as a nation captive to the nation of Babylon. But Jeremiah also prophesied that in 70 years, God would bring back and reestablish the nation of Israel. So there was prophecy that that said the judgment would come, but there was also prophecy that said there's hope of restoration. And so once those passages began to take place, the Jews who lived through it and were taken captive, guess what? They had a hope. They had, since God was very accurate on talking about our destruction and captivity, we also can put confidence and hope in the future that he has for us. This is what brought Daniel to prayer. Much of what we study about end times is is in conjunction with what Daniel prophesied. And Daniel, his motivation, the reason he was seeking the Lord in prayer was because he knew of Jeremiah's prophecy. Daniel was a Jew captive in Babylon. Daniel was one who was living there after Babylon had conquered and taken them captive. And he knew of Jeremiah's prophecy. We're going to close tonight. I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. And I want you to see that. And I hope it will encourage your heart tonight. Daniel knew the prophets. Daniel studied and read the book of Jeremiah. And so now here he is. Those prophecies of Jeremiah have become you know, have started to become fulfilled, and now he's interested in those prophecies that are not yet fulfilled. And Daniel chapter 9, look with me in verse 1. Daniel 9, in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now, this is Daniel actually outlived the the kings of Babylon. They were eventually conquered, and now Daniel is still there during the reign of the Media Persian. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood, look, verse 2, by the books, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. He read the prophets and he knew that the 70 years was about up and he wanted to know what's going to happen next. Verse 3, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And he began to pray. And it was in response to that prayer that Daniel received much of his revelation in Daniel 9, the 70 weeks that I've been talking about, that whole understanding of Israel's future all the way out into the time of the tribulation, was in response to that Daniel humbling himself and beginning to seek the Lord because he knew the prophecies. And those prophecies were bringing hope, and those prophecies were bringing a sense of purpose and future for him. And this is, the, I, I believe, part of the reason that these prophecies are written. What is going to happen when these things begin to be fulfilled? We've already talked about it. There is going to be a great harvest of Christians. 
Now, we won't go into detail tonight, but we've talked about the idea of the church being raptured and caught up with the Lord prior to the time of tribulation, but also during the tribulation. Excuse me. Many, those tribulation saints, as we call them, many will be coming to Christ. Many are going to realize, including many of the nation of Israel. Wouldn't you, won't, won't these verses become precious to you if you are living through those times? And these things are beginning to happen. And you would be, I mean, if, without, the, without this book of Revelation, what would you be thinking? All of this evil growing and waxing worse and worse and people getting persecuted and Christians dying. And this evil empire coming to rise without the prophecies and the understanding that this has all been predicted by the Lord, you might be tempted to lose hope. But if you're a believer and these things begin to take place you know, and you come to Christ during that season, these passages are going to become precious for you. Just as Jeremiah's prophecies were precious to Daniel, he was living through the judgment of God on the nation. And the, and the hope of restoration became precious to him, a place of comfort for him. And wouldn't it be nice to know that when things are really bad, that there is an end in sight. That the word of God will, has predicted that this season will not last forever. That there will be a time of restoration. That these things are only for a little while. Endure, persevere. That these prophecies will become hope to those that see them fulfilled. And I believe that they can be a source of comfort and hope for us as well, knowing that they will be fulfilled. And knowing that it's God's nature to redeem and rescue His children from difficult circumstance. Not that they don't go through it, but they don't go through it forever. God has hope and promise. It may be tonight that you're going through your own tribulation. It seems like, you know, who cares about the great tribulation? I've got enough just in my life is a great tribulation. God should give you should find comfort in the word of God. God has made promises that, you know, there, there will be seasons of difficulty, but there is also great hope because God in the end will bring you through. God is working all things together for good. God has made promise that though you may sow in tears, you will reap in joy. There is a season of difficulty in all our lives, but there's also a season where God redeems and restores and brings you through. And the Bible is filled with those types of examples, and we're no different, church. We're, our generation is not going to dodge difficult times. We're going to go through times of struggle personally, nationally, globally. But prophecy encourages me because it reminds me that God has the future in His hand. It reminds me that nothing is catching Him by surprise. Nothing is. There, there is no crisis in heaven. Crisis, you know, that's kind of like, oh my gosh, this has happened. What do we do? God knows what to do. He wasn't caught by surprise. So God is ultimately in control of all things, and certainly He is in control of our lives, His children, the believers, those that call Him Daddy. 
those that he loves, those whom he gave his own son for. He loves you. He is committed to you. He will bring you through. It won't be without trouble and tribulation. Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. The world cannot quench or take away the hope and promise that we have from his word and those things that he has given us in prophecy. Amen? Let's pray tonight. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for prophecy. I do pray, God, that it will have its full impact in our lives. I pray, God, that it will have whatever impact it's intended to have in each life tonight. Lord, there may be some here that just need the warning. Listen, God loves you, but God is holding you accountable. And you don't want to be caught in your life without a Savior. You don't want to be in a place where you have not come to a relationship with Jesus Christ and received forgiveness and mercy and come to a place of fellowship with Him. Let these things warn Maybe tonight, Lord, there needs to be just a a stirring up. Lord, if these things are true, I need to be living a little differently. Maybe my priorities need to be kind of restacked. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in these things, that we would see these things and say, what an awesome God. What an incredible God and knowledge and wisdom and, and, and understanding. And Lord, that that would ultimately bring comfort and hope to us all. You've got us. You're taking care of us, Lord. You've promised not only this life, but a beautiful future of eternity. And Father, we want to give place to those things as we look even at these difficult seasons yet to come, Lord, of Antichrist and false prophet. But all of that, Lord, is just really the the precursor of your glorious return. And that's where our hope rests and lies. And as our heads are bowed tonight, and just want to keep you in a moment of prayer, just a couple minutes longer, I do want to give an opportunity to you for anyone here that may need to respond to the Lord. And uh, I want to pray for you if that's the case. And then after I pray for those who need to respond to the Lord, I also want as a church to, to pray for a special need tonight. But first, let me give this invitation. And again, just keep your heads bowed for a moment. Keep Those of you that know the Lord, just keep praying. and Just praying under, under your breath to the Lord. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, and, and maybe your heart has been stirred and worn tonight, and you need to come to the Lord, I want to pray for you. That's all it is, is a prayer. God loves you. He's waiting for you. He's knocking on the door. And to whoever will open, He will come in. And maybe you need to open that door tonight. Or maybe you need to come back to the Lord. There are some who slip away. They, we, we drift away. And in some cases we drift far away. And we wake up one morning and we look in the mirror and we say, who is that person? And what has happened to my faith and my walk with Jesus? I, I've become so distant. And I need to come back to the Lord and rededicate my life to Him. Maybe that's your heart tonight. I'd like to pray for either case tonight. If you're here and you need to come to the Lord, maybe for the first time, or you need to rededicate your life to Him tonight, would you raise your hand tonight so that I can see you and I will pray for you? 
God bless you. There on my right, I see you, both of you. Here, center as well. Any others besides these three that have responded tonight? God bless you as well. bless you, sir, in the center there. God bless you. Thank you for responding. It's between you and the Lord. The Lord sees your heart and He loves you. And He rejoices as you open your heart to Him. That's all He desires is to forgive you and to cleanse you and to refresh your life with His Spirit and to bring you great hope. Anyone else before I pray for those? Lord, I do ask for just a special blessing tonight. Lord, I I really believe, maybe the case in all tonight, Lord, but I just sense in my heart for certain that there were some who responded here tonight that that are just in a desperate place. My sense is, Lord, that their response is very sincere and heartfelt and desperately needed. And so I pray that you, by your Spirit, will encourage them tonight, that they will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you love them, and that you will in no wise cast them out. You want to be in relationship with them. You want to come into their life and forgive them and cleanse them and embrace them. Fill them with your spirit and give them hope and strength and confidence. So God, I pray that you would. That they would put their trust in Jesus Christ tonight and what he has accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Dying for our sins because he loves us. Paying the price so that God can forgive us completely. The past is over and cleansed and, Lord, all things are made new. But, Lord, not only the past, but the future now as well is is secure in you. And I pray, Lord, that there would be just a great hope and and just a freedom that they would walk out tonight feeling like a a weight lifted off their shoulders and a sense of spiritual freedom and newness in their lives, God. Oh, bless them tonight, Lord. And bless us all, God, as we take these words to heart. Just stir them, Lord, in our spirits. Bring them to mind, Lord, tomorrow and the next day as we're driving and showering and walking about our day, that the Word of God would be coming back to our minds, continuing to speak to us and motivate and stir us, bearing good fruit for Your glory. We ask these things tonight in Jesus' name.